uh, this evening. Thank you. We praise you, Father, for this evening. Um, just come to your house, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. We just want to exalt your word. We just don't want to, Father, waste this one hour in your presence, Father. But, Lord, I pray that you would quicken our hearts, Lord, that we, we are here. Lord, even though we are few in number, O oh Lord, we know, Father, we are here because, because we... We believe, O oh Lord, where two or three are gathered in your name, you will be there in our midst. And therefore, we want to come and learn from you, O oh Lord. One thing, O oh Lord, you asked, may Martha, so many things you're worried about, but one thing is needful, that you would sit at my feet and learn. Of, and therefore, we have come here, O oh Lord, to sit at your feet and to learn from you. And therefore, I pray, Father, that you would animate me, O oh Lord, and Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, whatever is of 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 uh, of my man which is of my own interpretation let it just fall to the ground but whatever is of your spirit which is of truth i pray father uh, lord you would lord uh, quicken it and impress that word into the deepmost parts of our inner man to that end i pray that you would grant us grace and you would anoint us we thank you we praise you in jesus name amen look continue to study um but this one verse again uh, chapter Isaiah chapter 59 verses 14 to 15. Um, very powerful verse. Very, very powerful. Um, let's read together. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off because for truth is fallen in the street and uprightness, uh, other translations will call equity, Cannot enter, so truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey, all because truth has fallen in the streets. You notice certain things about this, uh, but this particular verse, okay? Lo- notice interesting personality structures given to uh, justice. Justice is what? Turn back. You see that? As if it's got a personality. It's got some kind of a um, uh, a will of its own. Justice turned back. Righteousness stands afar. Uprightness cannot enter. It doesn't want to enter. All because truth has fallen. You see, that, that, that's a very interesting thing, you know. Uh, it's as if justice stands for some person or righteousness stands for some person. Truth is a person. We know that, right? Truth is a person. Righteousness is a person. Because he is our righteousness. Justice, he is our justice. He is our truth. So he cannot do certain things. That's what he's trying to say. Everything is, is tied to the personality of Christ, right? Just notice that. Another thing which I wanted to look at very carefully is what does each word mean. Sometimes when we look at the word justice, righteousness, uprightness, truth, yes, we know maybe in, in some measure. What do these words mean? What does equity mean? What does justice mean? What does righteousness mean? So I want to just look at all these words, justice, righteousness, uprightness. What do they mean? What does truth mean? Okay, all connected to truth, obviously, from that verse. So we'll look at, do some vocabulary word study. You know, one of the things that I'm, I, I'm, of, I'm trying to do these days is to, uh, do a, a way of studying the Bible called arcing. And what is arcing? You know, if you've seen your, uh, Airtel 
signal strength. You have arcs, right? So it's something like that. You look at the immediate vicinity of the verse and try to increase the circumference and try to look at the verse in the broader context to get the meaning of what that word's word means. So we'll just look at all these words. What does righteousness mean? If I were to ask you, what does justice mean? What would you say? You might be having some, some definition in your mind, possibly true, very close to the truth or maybe not the exact, but what does the Bible mean when it says justice? What does the Bible mean when it says righteousness? What does the Bible mean when it, say up, when it says uprightness or equity? And how are they connected to the truth? Is something we look at, okay? So first let us look at the word justice. No? Justice comes from the Hebrew word mishpat. And what does it mean? Biblical sense. It means the ability to make the right decision or judgment considering all the available evidence or the lack of evidence without partiality and in exact proportion to the crime or to the offense. That is justice. That is remarkable, right? The ability to make the exact or the right decision, considering all the available evidence or the lack thereof, without partiality and in exact proportion to the crime, that is what is justice. Okay. That's the whole world is after that. Okay, There's a new uh, hashtag. It's called hashtag SJW. You know what hashtag SJW means? Social justice warrior. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a catchword in, 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 uh, uh, in, uh, in the universities abroad, especially in the US and Canada. It's stunning to look at the bastions of, of philosophy and truth and science, how they have turned into such hostile places for truth and for freedom of speech. You know the word freedom of speech, you know where it comes from? It comes from the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. It says, let us come boldly and confidently to the throne of grace. Two Greek words which, which says freedom of speech. Let us have the freedom of speech to express ourselves in the throne of grace. Who gives us that freedom? It is God who gives us, gives us that freedom. Okay. And all of us long for this ability. And unfortunately, we don't have it. The ability to make the right decision based upon all the available evidence and most of the times we come to conclusions without seeing all the evidence. You see that? Uh, and only Jesus is, cap- is capable of do that, doing that and you can see his ability when you see, uh, see Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down and see. You see, you see how how God does things? He, he doesn't just, okay, I heard, uh, somebody said that Sodom and Gomorrah is very, very sinful. You know, he says, let me go down personally and see. He's teaching us, not that he doesn't know. He's teaching us. I will go down and now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And then you know he is he's going to reveal to Abraham what is he going to what he's going to do to uh, to to uh, um, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham starts uh, 
bargaining with God and he appeals to one attribute of his character. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 18 verse 25. It says, far it be from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. So that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Is appealing to his character. And Jesus is that. He's, he's, he's the embodiment of justice. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 3 to 4. His delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his uh, ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. No. You see, notice that. The ability to judge appropriately is tested when the people whom you are judging are poor or weak in society. You need to understand this is such a tremendous, tremendous, you know, how do I know God is just? I know God is just because he has the ability to judge the poor. That is remarkable. Understand this. Very careful. Okay. He has the ability to judge the who? He has the ability to judge the poor. Why? Why is this the ultimate test? I'll tell you. Exodus chapter 23, verses 2 to 3 and verse 6. You must not follow the crowd. This is the New Living Translation. I love this translation. Look at what it says. You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Okay. When you are called to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. Meaning, don't follow the majority opinion. Just because the majority believes that this is the way, don't believe, don't trust, don't be swayed by them. Or, just because the majority like the way that you are speaking, don't get swayed into saying false things just because they love it. And then look at this, the next interesting word. And do not slant your testimony in favor of a person just because the person is poor. <laughs> interesting, isn't it? And then verse 6 says, in a lawsuit, lawsuit, you must not deny justice to the poor. So you have two opposite extremes. You might want, want to favor, oh, yo, this person is so poor. No, maybe he's always telling the truth. Don't, don't just slant justice because, to the poor because, just because he's poor. Or don't deny justice just because he's poor. No, you need to understand this. This is such a fair, fair, uh, very, what do you say, a thin line, you know, mercy and truth. We, we studied that in, on, on Sunday. Uh, in the West, especially in Christian nations, or in the, in the Middle East, not, not, not in the West, in the, in the Middle Eastern countries where Islam is the dominant religion, the testimony of a woman is considered only half the testimony in a court. Why? Because you are a woman, you can't testify in court. That is one extreme. <laughs> now you go to the West. 
you you see what's going on in the west the testimony of the woman just because she is a woman doesn't even have to be corroborated with any other witnesses just because she is a woman and she says that i'm a victim you have to believe her at face value you see the the extremes the world is in one way one side you have uh, in the in the middle eastern countries and even in india i mean they say you you are nikem delwad adamai kucho normusko they say don't even speak out they'll say your testimony does not not is not even valid because you're a woman you're in fact you're half that of a man and they're not even allowed to testify in court on the other hand on in the west just because she's a woman she may be telling the truth we believe you no remember that during the cover interview oh my goodness we believe you christine so you need to see that jesus is always put into these kind of situations where you have a majority crowd and you have a person who belongs to a poor background and this man that is jesus does not get swayed neither by the crowd nor by the poor woman you see this is found in john's gospel chapter 8 verses 7 to 11 you see this woman caught in adultery remember it says so when she, when they continued asking him this is the people they said we saw we saw we saw this a huge crowd saying that we saw this woman caught in the act of adultery so okay fine he raised himself and said he who is without sin among you let him throw a stone at her first and again he stooped down and wrote down in the ground then those who heard it being convicted in their conscience went out one by one beginning from the eldest to the uh, oldest even to the last you see they were touched and then who's left the poor woman is left jesus said Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst and when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman he said to her woman where are those accusers of yours has no one condemned you no one see i just because you're a woman i'm not going to slant justice i'm going to uphold the law the law says some corroborating evidence has to be there nobody is here let you go that is the reason why he says in john's gospel chapter 7 do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment and we need to have this ability but it says justice is is far turned which the the verse says justice is turned back it's not even entering doesn't even enter into our hearts second thing which you want to look at the second part of the vocabulary you want to look at is what does it word what does the word righteousness mean righteousness sadek comes from the hebrew word sadek what does that mean you know if if i were to ask you know somebody says this is a righteous man what does it mean he means it means for most of us he is a holy man he is a honest man etc 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 well that is that could be true that could be the attributes of a righteous man but what does the word righteousness actually mean according to the bible it means this bottom line righteousness what does bottom line righteousness mean to be in right standing with a person or persons okay you got it to be in right standing with persons or persons so let me give you three examples example number 1 if you are in right standing with your electricity company telangana state electricity board what does it mean you pay the bill okay if you pay the bill you are in right standing with them they are in right standing with you and you get the electricity okay if you do not pay the bill you are 
not in right standing with them and they are not obligated to give you the bill. They'll come and cut your connection and go. Okay, that is very simple. Second, at your workplace, you are in right standing with your company if you put in the exact number of hours that is expected from you or more sometimes and you deliver whatever results they are expecting from you. And if you are in right standing with them, you are righteous according to the policies of the company and therefore at the end of the month they give you a salary, a paycheck. Now, think about it, no? You are not doing what your company is expecting you to do. But on the other hand, you say, you know what? I'm a very nice man. Okay? I, I go to church. Okay? I, I, I help the poor. I pray every day. I read my Bible. I'm a very nice person. Will that matter to your company? No. All your righteous deeds is what? Just like fill the racks for them. Because you are not doing what is expected from you, therefore you are not in right standing with that with the, with the company, and therefore they will not give you the money. Let us ex- just go to a different level. Now no, let us say you have a guy who is trying to court a girl. He is doing everything possible, buying her flowers, speaking nicely to her, you know, in the company, whatever, no, doing all kinds of things to her, it doesn't matter. This girl is not even giving him a stare. And he's frustrated, but one day she gets interested in another, another guy and she accepts him and he rejects him. And uh, when this fellow gets upset and says, so many times I was trying to quote you, why did you reject me? You know, the line that most often young people use, you are not my Type, yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter how many other attributes that you may be having. I am not looking for that. You are not compatible to me, with me. See, that is righteousness. So, in order to have righteousness, you need to be acceptable to the person or the persons. That is what it means to have right standing with a person. What happened? When Adam and Eve fell, this is what one of the one man of God says, this is beautiful, let me just read it out for you. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, realized that they lost not only their right standing with the creator, but also with each other, that is creation. They lost their righteousness and lost their acceptability with God and with creation. They lost it. So immediately what they do, they understand that they lost their acceptability with the creation, meaning that she's not acceptable to him, he's not acceptable to her. So what do they do? Immediately they try to do something to make themselves acceptable to one another. But the problem is, they're still afraid of God. Deep down, every human heart, there is a sense of unrighteousness. A sense of unrighteousness, hunger, unrighteous hunger. And the desire to be accepted and therefore a hunger and a desire for true righteousness. Let me tell you what it means. It doesn't matter what kind of a family you are brought up in. Even if it is a family where the parents love you so much and they pour out their lives to you. Even as the child grows up, he's still trying to find righteousness. He's still trying to fit in with his group. 
He is still trying to find what is acceptable to me. Until he finds that kind of a compatibility, he is still not satisfied. But the problem is, you will never have a right standing with the creation unless you have a right standing with the creator. You see that? And therefore, we have to be very sensitive to this. Sin is therefore sinning against God. Unless you understand sin in that context, you will never ever have righteousness. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 39. This is, uh, uh, this is, uh, Joseph. We know this story. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had and put him under his authority. So he had favor. He was having a right standard with his, with his boss. And one day, you know, something happened. That lady came and started tempting him. And it came to pass after these things that the master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look at what he says. Look, my master does not know what is with me in this house. And he has committed all that he has in my hand. It means I completely have a right standing with my Master. And look at what he says. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against what? God. See, he understood this. He said, if I break my standing with you, I'm not just breaking my standing with you, I'm breaking my standing against God. And if I understand sin in that light, I have a completely different ballgame. I have a completely different understanding of righteousness. Therefore, Psalm 51 verse 4 will say, Against you and you only have I sinned and have done evil in this sight. That you may be found just or righteous when you speak and blameless when you judge. You see, in order to have a right standing with God, therefore, we need to meet His requirements. Any other requirement is absolutely useless. It doesn't matter how many ways you try to please him. He will never be pleased unless and until you meet his standard of righteousness. That is what he says in Isaiah chapter 64. We all know this. All our what? Anybody knows the answer? All our? Can can I hear you? All our? Righteousness is? Is filthy rags. Somebody said righteous deeds is as filthy rags. Okay, fine. I give it to you. But look at this, okay? I also thought the same. But I want to show you something very, very interesting over here. Let's read this together. You know, sometimes the Bible has bad grammar, but correct theology. Okay? Like pastor was talking about grammar, right? Okay? Before Abraham was, I am. I will be, I was, no, 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 I am. Very interesting. Look at this, very interesting two verses, Isaiah chapter 64, verses 5 to 6. Let me see if you guys catch it, catch the grammar mistake. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry for we have sinned. In these ways we continue and we need to be saved. Okay, But we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness righteousnesses did you notice that please oh that is bad grammar you have righteousness you have righteousnesses meaning you might be trying to convince god in 150 ways 
But you are not meeting his standard of righteousness. God says, Baba, it doesn't matter what it is. It is absolutely like filthy rags before me. That is the reason why in Luke's gospel chapter 13, you have to, don't have to turn there. It says, uh, the disciples ask him, Lord, will there be few people who will be saved? You know what he says? Strive to enter through the narrow gate. The word strive comes from the Greek word agonize. Agonize to enter through the narrow gate because many will seek to enter but only few will be able to enter. You understand? So, there are several. Everybody has their own standard of righteousness and he says, all your righteousnesses. (laughs) Is as good as filthy rags. I mean, and you know the word filthy rags. You don't have to, I mean, I don't have to repeat that. So, that is righteousness. So, we got a definition of justice. We got the definition of righteousness. We got, you have to get the definition of uprightness or equity. Let us get the definition of uprightness of or equity. Comes from the uh, Greek word nekoka. What does it mean? To walk in a straight path. To walk in a straight path. You know, one of the things that I'm doing these days, in order to understand the meaning of a particular word, look for that particular word, not just through the entire Bible, but immediate vicinity where it is used. That means, look for that particular word where all it is used in Isaiah itself. Where is this? In Isaiah chapter 59, right? So let us look at where all in Isaiah it is mentioned. This is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 39 verses 9 to 10. This That this is a rebellious house. This is uh, Isaiah chapter 39 verses 9 to 10. And that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who uh, will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers or the prophets, okay, or the, no, no, seers, this is different people who, who have spiritual vision, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what things? Right things. That is the word. Uprightness or right, okay, or equity. Speak to us uh, smooth things, prophesy lies. So you have right things and do not see, okay, walking in a path, a straight path and not being able to see. There's a, there's a, there's a connection over there. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 10. In favor, this is again the word uprightness is used or equity is used. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. Okay. If favor is shown to the wicked, he shall not learn righteousness. We looked at that, right? Uh, we should, you should uh, let us have favor with God and with man. But if you show favor to a wicked man, he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see. You see that connection over there? The ability to see and to walk uprightly. In 1928, they did an experiment. Uh, one of the, I forget the name of the scientist, he did an experiment and I wanted to look at this video, okay, three minute video for all the people who like media. Okay, I'm speaking to a media generation. Look at, look at just this video uh, for a few minutes. People have been curious about this for a while. So if you go back, and here's a beautiful example to the 1920s, a young scientist by the name of Asa Schaefer asked a friend, could you put on a blindfold? I'm going to take you to the edge of a field. And he said, what I'd like you to do 
is walk across this field in a straight line. Just stay as straight on course as you possibly can. So, he's asking him to walk in a straight line, okay? And here is Ace's map. Okay, so he's asking his friend, I'm going to blindfold you, walk across this field in a straight line, and notice the trajectory that this guy takes. Beautiful example to the 1920s, a young scientist by the name of Asa Schaefer asked a friend, could you put on a blindfold? I'm going to take you to the edge of a field. And he said, what I'd like you to do is walk across this field in a straight line. Just stay as straight on course as you possibly can. So the man headed off. And here is Asa's map of what happened next. The man starts to walk. And his route, as you see here, begins to tilt ever so slightly to the right. We're going to speed this up just a bit. Notice that the blindfolded man now starts to turn dramatically, taking him back to the road where he started from, and then across the road, and then around again, and then back again, and around again. And increasingly, he's moving in smaller curls until finally he hits a tree and stops. All the while, he thought he was walking in a perfectly straight line. He was thinking that he was walking in a straight line. There are many studies just like this. From 1928, here are three people who leave a barn on a very foggy day, and what they want to do is go to a point about a half mile away. Here's what happened, the map version. The barn is here. The destination is here. Now watch this. Off they go. They think they're walking straight, but instead what they actually do is they start to turn and turn and turn and end up weirdly back at the very place where they started, the barn. This experiment has been done in all kinds of situations. Here's another 1928 study. A man is blindfolded and then asked to jump into a lake and swim in a straight line to the other side. Now, here is where he swam. There is apparently a profound inability in humans to stick to a straight line when blindfolded or when there is no fixed point, no sun, no moon, no mountaintop to guide them. In this last case, a blindfolded man is asked to get into a car and is told to drive in a straight line across a totally empty Kansas field. Now, the driver is not in any danger. All he has to do is hold course. But here is the map that shows what happened next. For 80 years, scientists have been trying to explain this tendency to turn when you think you're going straight. They thought maybe this is some form of handedness, like being a righty or a lefty, or maybe it's a right-left brain thing where one side of you is slightly dominant and then the dominance builds over time. Maybe it's just simple asymmetry. Some people are stronger on one side or have different sized arms or legs, but... Try as they might, and we're still trying these experiments, nobody has really figured out why we can't go straight. So that's the story. It's very interesting. You blindfold somebody and ask them to walk straight. It's impossible for them to walk in a straight line. I mean, I thought that was a very interesting example. And this is exactly what God is saying. Walk straight, but how can you walk unless you have a point of reference, like a mountaintop or a... And you're thinking all the time that you're walking straight, 
But all you're doing is going around in circles. And I thought that was a fantastic example of a Christian walk. We are going around in circles, trying to find your own righteousness in so many different ways. And coming back to point zero again. You know, there's in Telugu, there's a very interesting saying, it's just exactly back to square one. And I feel so many Christian people are stuck. They're stuck in their walk with the Lord. Why? It seems that they're just going on in circles and circles and circles. The problem is with uprightness. You see, therefore, we, we have three definitions. So, you see how definitions are so important? You see that? So, we have three things we looked at. We looked at what justice means. We looked at what righteousness means. And we looked at what uprightness means. And all of them got messed up because what has happened? Truth has fallen on the streets. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to read through Isaiah 59. I'm going to observe certain things as to how can we get out of this mess and have justice, the ability to judge, have righteousness, have the ability to walk in uprightness. By the way, very interesting, okay. In um, uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 14, you can you can look at the, in your Bibles. It's there in the in one of the versions, English Standard Version. It says that um, uh, when uh, the Jewish believers from uh, from uh, from uh, Jerusalem came to Antioch, okay, remember that when Jewish believers from Jerusalem came to Antioch, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, okay, and suddenly he saw the Jewish believers. And very slowly, diplomatically, slowly went away and withdrew from the Gentiles because he was afraid of them. And Barnabas also saw that and other Jewish people also saw that. And slowly they also started withdrawing from the Gentiles and withstood him to his face. And he said, you are to be blamed because you did not walk uprightly in line with the gospel, the truth of the gospel. He did not walk what? Uprightly, in line with the truth of the gospel. I remember Pastor James talking about truth and bones. How many of you remember that? Yeah, truth and bones. The word upright in that particular portion in the Greek New Testament comes from the Greek word orthopodeo. Only once in the entire Bible. Which means straight feet and upright position, which is essentially your bones, right? What is he telling? He's telling Peter, there are lines that the gospel draws. And because of your hypocrisy and your pretense, what you're doing, you're going away from the line of the gospel and you're twisting the truth. You're not walking upright, orthopodeo. It's remarkable. Uh, for example, if you're, if you're, if you're Teeth are crooked. You go to a dentist. He's also called orthodontist. Ortho means makes it straight. If you, if your gate is crooked, you go to a person called orthopedician or orthopodontist or podiodontist. I don't know if I can get that word. It's a very unique Greek word. Who makes your feet straight so that you can walk in a straight path. You know, one of the, one of the, one of the coordination exercises that we teach uh, children when they are young, Walk straight. It's interesting. You know what? We teach the robot for the first time. 
when we do an experiment, the first thing the young roboticists are taught, they ask the robot to follow a straight line autonomously. That's the first experiment that is done in robotics. I found that significant because we all know intuitively, <laughs> we're all people who cannot walk in straight paths and we are crooked by nature. So, therefore, so the question is, how did we come to this point where justice, righteousness and uprightness is messed up completely in our life is because truth is gone. But how did we actually reach that position in our lives? Here's a question. So I'm going to read some portions of Isaiah 59. And I want to observe, ask, uh, 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 I want you to observe five characteristics here. I want to observe, want you to observe actions. I want you to observe, observe attitudes. I want to observe the source. I want you to observe the influencing force. And I want you to observe the results. Will you do it for me? Everybody, let's do this exercise. I want to look at the actions. I want to look at the attitudes. I want to look at the source. I want to look at the influencing force. I want to look at the results. Pay careful attention. Okay, all few students here in the class, let us see how many of you have the attention to look at the action, to discern the attitude, to look for the source, to look for the influencing force, and to also look at the results. Let us see. Isaiah 59. How did we end come to the point where justice, everything is messed up in our lives? Let's read from verses 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have had uh, have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Okay, now tell me what is the result over here? God does not hear? God does not save. Because he cannot hear. He cannot save. Why does he not save? That is the result. The, re- the reason is what? Your iniquities and your sin. Are you able to see that? Okay, fantastic. And then it says, for your hands are defiled with blood. That is an action. You got that? Fantastic. Your fingers are, your hands are filled with action, uh, filled with blood because your fingers are with iniquity. That is the reason, the source. Okay, fine. Your lips have spoken lies. That is the action. Why? Because your tongue mutters wickedness. Mutters, we you know what mutters means? Practices. Practice. Muse. Think over. How should I lie today? Practice lying. In other words, you know, we go to, uh, the, uh, to the, to the, to the football stadium or you go to, let's say, uh, a cricket uh, nets and we practice balling in swinger, out swinger, no? You keep practicing. Want to know exactly where to pitch the ball and how to swing away from the right hander. That's exactly how you're practicing. Practicing lie precisely where to <laughs> drop the ball, drop it and how do I Act so convincingly that I myself will be deceived. You know, I always see interviews of these actors, you know. You know, there was one guy who was asked this question, what is the secret of your acting? You know what he says? I have mastered the art of lying. That's what he said. I found that so profound. What is the secret of your acting skill? He said, I have mastered the art of lying. I can 
lies so convincingly that I think that I am the character. That's what we call hypocrite. Oh, that is what we celebrate every year in Oscar Awards. The world's best male hypocrite. Okay. The world's best female hypocrite. It's a remarkable thing. The world's best supporting male hypocrite. In the female role, accordingly. And the director who directed all these hypocrites. And the fool called the producer who put money into these hypocrites. You see, this is exactly what it, what we are doing. We, we act so convincingly. Because there is a nature inside of us. There is a source. Look at what it says. Again, I am not going to stop here. Let us move on. Verse 7. Their feet run to evil. Run meaning you are ready. Chalo. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Why? That is the action. Why? Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their parts because of their thoughts. Then, another, no one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas and speak lies because they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. The source is right there deep down inside of their heart. But the question is, I know it is there inside your heart, but what is the influencing force? Verse 5, they hatch whose eggs? Adder's eggs. Who's that fellow? The serpent. Who's animating, who's influencing all this distorted behavior is the serpent himself. So what do you do? In every one of us, because we have the, in, in, the, the, the deep longing inside of us to find right standing, to justify our existence, we are always trying to produce righteousness in our own ways. So, so look at what it says here. There's a desperate attempt in the, in the middle of the chapter. I'm not going chronologically because it's poetry. Poetry is not like prose. It's all ulta pulta. Okay. So you have to, I'm not going, so, so look at what, how we, how we, how we, uh, this is in Isaiah chapter 59 verses 6 and 8. Verses 6 and verse 8. There's a desperate attempt. He's, he's understanding that he's, he, he understands that he cannot produce righteousness himself, but he's trying desperately. Look at what he says. Their webs will not become garments. Have you seen a spider's web? How many of you took it as a, as a, as a thing and stitched it? Stitched and made a cloth out of it? Nobody can. He says, your webs will not become garments. Nor will they cover themselves with their works. Meaning, all your good works are just like the web of a spider. What should you do in order to get through a spider's web? Gone. See? The works are works of iniquity. And the act of violence is in their hands. The way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. You know, one man of God says, you know, look at the, look at the pronouns here. They, them, as if it's somebody else. And you know, the problem is when you say they, them, that's exactly what happens. You no, know, you have two movements in, 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 in US. You have the conservative movement and you have the liberal movement. The liberals will say they are wrong. Conservatives say they are wrong. Nobody will say 
we are wrong. You know, uh, G.K. Chesterton was asked this question. Mrs. Chesterton, can you tell me what is, who, who is the, what is the reason for so much of trouble in this world? Can you just write an essay and send it to us? He was a, he was a journalist. And he got back a one, st- one, uh, what do you say, line reply from, from him to the editor. You know what it says? This is the problem with the world. Me. Thank you very much. Who is the, who, what is the problem? This is the problem. Me, yours sincerely, J.K. Chesterton. That is the problem. Nobody says, I am the problem. And you know what? Your solution for your problem will start when you acknowledge that you are the problem and not somebody else. If you are trying to say, other people, they have done this, they have done this. You know what? It is a spider's web. You are trying to hide between that spider's web. God says, no way. So what are the results? Results? You want to see the results? Look at what the results are. Therefore, justice is far from us. You are trying for justice. You know, um, if you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, how many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Eric Little, no? Eric Little. He had a friend who runs the race and he was asked this question. Why are you practicing so much? You know what he said? I have nine seconds to justify my existence on this earth. What? I have nine seconds or ten seconds, within ten seconds, ten seconds to justify why I am living on this earth. In other words, if I don't win the race, my very reason for my existence is meaningless. But if you know the story of Eric Little, he doesn't, he doesn't even take part in that competition and he takes part in another competition which is not even a specialist and he gets a gold medal because he refuses to, to, to take part on a Sabbath. And then what happens? Therefore, justice is far from us. Nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. And then he says, we grope for the wall like the blind. And we grope as if we had what? No eyes. You know, there is one thing to be blind. And the other thing to have no eyes. You see, if you ha- if you don't have eyes, this uh, this... Okay, at least a blind fellow can be healed. What about a guy who has no eyes? We stumble at noonday. There's no stability in our lives. There's no groping. Groping means we have lost all of a sense of vision. We stumble. There's no stability. We are high one day. We are low one day. We want to worship God one day. We want to say, today I don't feel like worship. Today we want to go to service one day. Today I don't feel like going to service. Today I don't feel like reading the Bible. You know why? Because there is no stability in our lives. Because we are looking for somebody else or something else in our lives for our justification, for our righteousness. It could be a job. It could be a career. It could be a spouse. Or it could be acceptance from friends. And therefore there is no stability. And we all have become like what? Dead men, we are all spiritually dead. Cut off from the life of Christ. And then, for our, for, look at the pronoun, for our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. As for our iniquities, we know them. You see, until and unless you turn from them to me, there's no solution. In transgression and lying against the Lord and departing from our God. Speaking oppression and revolting. Conceiving and uttering from the heart. Words of falsehood. What has happened? Justice has turned back. Righteousness stands for equity cannot enter. Because truth has fallen in the streets.
The problem is, how do we get back? I have told you the problem. How many of us want a solution? You see, the solution also has to be given. No. If, think about it. Today, how many of you think, I mean, you don't have to turn your hands or show your hands. How many of you feel that you're stuck? I mean, you could be stuck at different levels. You know, I could be stuck in certain, at, at a certain place in my walk with the Lord, possibly ahead of you maybe. I don't know. But, but I could be stuck. And, and I'm just groping and groping and I'm coming back to the same point. I'm not progressing at all. No matter how hard I'm trying, something has, I'm just stuck there. If you feel stuck this, this evening, I'm stuck in this financial mess. Not just able to come out of it. No progress. How does redemption begin? How can I be redeemed? Isaiah chapter 59. The latter part of verse 15. Then the Lord saw and it displeased him that there was not no justice. He saw from heaven and it displeased him. Let me tell you something. There are two quotes. There is what we call as the earthly court. There is the heavenly court. The earthly court could acquit you, but you could be absolutely an evil person in the sight of God. The earthly court could call you all kinds of names, but you could absolutely be a righteous person in the sight of God. There is an earthly court. There is a heavenly court. David sinned against Bathsheba, killed her husband, took him as as her wife, and mess has happened. But if you look at it, got married to her, became the father of supposedly Uriah's child, because nobody knew, except David and Joab. And he was absolutely right in the eyes of men. But in the sight of God, it was evil. Another quote. Do you know the other quote? This is in the New Testament. Where two quotes are mentioned. Quote on earth, he is accused of blasphemy. What is he accused of? Blasphemy against Moses and against God. And he is brought to the Sanhedrin. And he gives his defense. And they say, you uncircumcised, etc. They close their ears. They say, this is blasphemy. And you know what is the punishment for blasphemy? Stone him with stones. The court on earth condemns him to death, finding him guilty of blasphemy. But there's again another court on, on heaven, in heaven. Who am I talking about? Who's that? Who am I talking about? Stephen. Isn't it interesting? Instead of Jesus sitting, Jesus is standing. When does the high priest stand in the most holy place? When he's offering what? A sacrifice. He's making atonement. You know what is happening? There are two courts which are being mentioned in that. There's a court on the earth which is calling that person guilty of blasphemy and and condemning him to death. But in the court in heaven, you know what? Stephen has this vision. He sees God, Jesus, interceding and says, Lord, he's a righteous man. Righteous. 
not because of his own strength, own own righteousness, because I paid for him. And you know what? Stephen has this vision, and you know how he breathes his last. He says, "Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing." You know why? Because he had the assurance that in the heavenly court he was acquitted, he was exonerated. There are two courts in every one of our lives. Your boss can call you a cheat and try to do all kinds of cases against you. But if you have to forgive your boss and have no grudge against him, you need to have the vision of the heavenly court where you stand before Jesus and all your sins are forgiven. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Then it, then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered there was no intercessor. Therefore, look at this construction. Okay, This is beautiful. We are celebrating 501 years of the Reformation, October 31st. Okay, look at what it says. And he wondered there was no intercessor. And look at the construction. I told you, it is bad grammar, <laughs> but correct theology. Don't get distracted with the butterfly. Okay, this is bad grammar, correct theology. Look at what it says. This, therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him or satisfied him. How did that happen? There are obviously two hymns over here. His own arm satisfied salvation, got salvation for him. His own righteousness satisfied him. There are two hymns. Romans chapter 4. First observation here, before I go there, first observation, it is impossible for us to redeem ourselves unless God takes the initiative. Okay? All of us, we are not saved because we took the initiative. Okay? You never came to church because you took the initiative. How many of you thought that you took the initiative, somebody called you and, come no. Come to church. Like exactly, how did, how did it happen to you Raj? The person who got you to the church is not here today, right? The person who got to got me to church is not here. You know, and in fact, he is responsible for the ministry also now. You see, nobody took initiative. You were not searching for God. God was searching for you. So God has to take the initiative. He says he saw it. There was no man, and he says, you know what? I'm going to do it now. This is Isaiah chapter fifty-nine. So before we go there, this is Romans chapter 4, verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. We were weak. We had no ability in ourselves to forget our righteousness. And all our righteousness are just like web, spider's web. And then, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies of God, we were weak, we were ungodly, and we were sinners, sinners, and God did it. He took the initiative. And that is how he satisfied himself. That is what Romans chapter 3 will say. It says, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 onwards, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a redemption, as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom, who put forward? I didn't put forward. God put forward. So he was satisfying himself. God put forward as a propitiation, satisfaction by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over sins previously committed 
and verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He said, you know what? <laughs> you, this is no, there's no point waiting for man. I will do it. And we all know it is impossible for us to satisfy God. Only God could satisfy himself. So God allowed God to die for us on the cross. I think, I mean, we'll just, can you imagine? You'll just go crazy. God tried to satisfy God by killing God for us. That's the mystery of God's redemption. Okay. So what happens once this happens? What happens? We have what we call as righteousness with God. And we are all craving for what we call as acceptance. No, You know what it does? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6, well, oh, sorry, 1 verse 6. This is not 4 verse 6, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, He has made us accepted, where? In the beloved, beloved with a capital B. Who is the only beloved of God? It is not David. It is the son of David. You know what? God looks not at us. He looks at Jesus, and he says, you are accepted in him. In him you are accepted. Just as if you have never sinned. Not that he's, your, your acts he's overlooking. The way he is looking at you has changed completely. We are absolutely accepted in God. Now, there are only two ways, my friends. Either you try for, I mean, you receive the acceptance from God, or you try for acceptance with God, and it is impossible. Impossible. I mean, just, just reading through Leviticus, okay, I, mean, just, I told you, I told, I shared it in yesterday's Bible study. It's very interesting, okay. There are seven festivals. The first festival that they are supposed to celebrate is the feast of the Passover. Okay, who was the Passover lamb who was slain for us? Jesus. The second festival they were to, they are supposed to celebrate is the feast of unleavened bread. Who is the only person who lived a sinless life? You sang that song, right? He came to live, live a perfect life. Sinless, perfect, unleavened life. Who is that? Jesus. Third is, third festival that is supposed to be, is a feast of the first fruits, the harvest. Harvest, where the first harvest is, is, is taken and given as a wave offering before the Lord. Who is the first wave offering before the Lord? Who waved? Jesus is the wave offering. The very interesting fifth. Forty, fifty days after the first wave offering is the fruit of, is the festival of the second harvest where you take the second crop, you take bread and you mix something in it. Leaven. What do you mix? Leaven. And then you wave before the Lord. Is it acceptable or not acceptable? Yes, it is still acceptable. What does leaven signify? Leaven signifies the sin nature inside of us, but we are still accepted because of the first wave offering, which is of Jesus. Because we are all justified sinners. Isn't it amazing? 
Because we all have the leaven of sin. I mean, the sin nature didn't go once we were justified. We still have. That is the reason why it says, purge out the what leaven? The old leaven and become a new lump as you truly are unleavened in Christ. Become like him now. That is what God does. He accepts you just as if you are Christ and now begins to do the work of sanctification inside all of us. And most of us, you know what we are trying to do? We are trying to sanctify ourselves and trying to be acceptable to God. God says you can never do it. Impossible. Forget about it. You'll always be frustrated. It'll be like a web clothing. Clothing made of web. Imagine, okay, just imagine wearing web. (laughs) It's like the emperor's clothes. Okay. But how do we come to this point? Isaiah chapter 59 verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression. One of the things that I need to tell you, there is no conversion without repentance. There is no conversion without repentance. There is no conversion until and unless you accept that you are what? A Jacob. A deceiver. A crooked fellow. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to find satisfaction and justification in relationships. Isn't it interesting? Unbelievable actually. First, the moment he looks at this girl, he just falls in love. Because you know what? He's craving for love deep down inside of his heart. Craving, craving, craving. Four wives, 12 children, lot of cattle. He's got intelligent genes. He knows how to do animal husbandry also. But all that wealth is not able to satisfy him. Because he's still Jacob. One day God says, what is your name, Baba? To kya hai? Deceiver. Crooked. Wicked. Iniquity. There is twists. Lies. I'm living a lie, God. I'm living somebody else's life. I'm pretending. I'm convincing myself. I'm sick and tired. You know, one man of God, when he was preaching from Isaiah chapter 59, he said, I'm going to bless you today with a blessing of being tired of your lies. Go home in peace. I thought it was a fantastic blessing. I'll bless you with being sick and tired with your pretending. And most of us are not sick and tired of our pretending. We're still trying to find justification. Maybe in our children. Most of the women have a problem there. You know, the children will satisfy them. Your children will never satisfy you. Your husband will not satisfy you. Only God can satisfy you. If you don't find satisfaction in God, it's... It's impossible. You can ask every, any married couple. It doesn't matter how beautiful and so cozy, cozy and so, what do you say, uh, romantic they, they look. You know, deep down inside of their heart, they're still not satisfied. Because God has allowed it that, to be that way. Because you will never be find satisfaction in your, in your husband or in your, in your wife. You see, do you know most of our love stories, how they end? I mean, I, 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 I like to watch love stories just for this reason. I want to see the whole process of the, how this fellow is trying to woo the girl and the different coincidences and the, and the, and the, and the sub story lines that, that bring these two people together. Suddenly the boy and girl meet in a bus. And then it starts off. The love story starts off and all the time there is always opposition for the marriage. Have you seen Indian love stories? There is always some kind of an opposition. Either the boy is poor or the girl is poor or something is there, some problem is there, some ego problem is there, some problem wherein they are not able to meet and finally get married. And all the love stories stop where? 
Mangalyam Tantunabe. It stops there. Why? Have you asked this question why? Why do why does every love story stop there? I'll tell you why. Because that's exactly how how it is going to be for us. Our consummation after that is happily ever after once we get married to Jesus. That is, it's a reflection. It's there deep down inside of our heart. We are thinking, you know what? If I find the right spouse and the right partner, I'm going to live happily ever after. And every love story ends with that hope. And therefore, I stop there. They don't show the reality. That is the reason why we like love stories. It doesn't matter how. It's the same old. It's like, I told you, it's like love stories like sambar. It doesn't matter. Every day you give me somewhere else, delete it. Why? Why? That's fascination with the love story because deep down inside of our heart there's a reflection, there's a longing for love and to live a life happily ever after without any problem. That is only found in Jesus, not in any marriage. And marriage is just a parable. It's what we call, this. John Piper calls it, this light and momentary marriage, a parable of permanence. Of eternal permanence. So therefore, how does redemption begin? It begins with God taking the initiative and we responding to that in repentance. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That is your ESV translation. NKG will say, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, it's the presence of the Lord that you should be right and be justified. Oh, the bliss of a clear conscience with God. How many of you would love to have that? absolutely right with God and absolutely right with man. You don't have to pretend. You just can be absolutely yourself. Okay? So, that is how he does it. But how does he sustain redemption? It's just one thing to 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 to, to uh, save us from our sins, from the penalty of our sins, but to keep us going in the process of victory over sin. So, what does he do? How does he sustain us in that process? Isaiah chapter 59 verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You know what he does? He gives us a continual supply of the spirit, which is the spirit of what? Truth. So that you may have the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the fear of the Lord so that you can oppose sin in your life. Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. Therefore he who supplies the who? Now tell me, he who supplied or supplies? He who supplies the Spirit and he who works or worked what? What is that? Works. It's not past tense. It is, it is not, therefore, he who supplied the spirit and worked miracles among you. It is he who supplies the spirit present tense and he works miracles among you. How does he do it? Does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing from faith? See, what is happening now? Even as you hear from faith, you know, being a continuous supply of the spirit is given to you and you have the ability and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit inside of you to overcome sin. Hmm. Finally, the ability to 
fight the powers of darkness too, right? So what does he do? Isaiah chapter 59 verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Who is the he over here? Jesus. So what do we do? Ephesians chapter 5, 6 actually. Not 5. 6, 14 and 17. Stand therefore and having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and take on the helmet of salvation. So what is it? What are we doing? What are we doing over here? Romans chapter 13 verses 11 to 13 will say. And do this knowing the time that it is not high time to awake from a sleep for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the work of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. And what is the armor of light? Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Meaning, put on Christ as a garment. That is the grass garment which God will give you. And that is the power that God gives you. As a protection against the, against the uh, accusations and the wiles of the enemy. You see, there are two things. I mean, there are two kinds of people in a football match. There is what we call the defenders. And then we also call us the strikers and the midfielders. Right? Am I right? Okay. There is a defender, there is a midfielder, there is a striker. Who is the most paid? Defender? No. Who is the most paid? Striker is the most paid. You know, even in uh, in, 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 in Christianity, there is, some, there is a team called apologetics. They are the defenders of the faith. There is another team called polemics where they attack ideologies. Those are the strikers of the faith. What are those people? They have the ability not only to say, you know what, Christianity is the true true way. They also have the ability to challenge other faiths and saying, your way is false. Now tell me, which is the most important weapon that we should have? Defense or offense? Offense. Thank you. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 21. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. Look at this. My spirit is upon you and my, what, 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 what is that? My words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants, descendants, says the Lord, from this time forth and even forevermore. You know what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, by which you can cut the enemy, attack him. So, Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. There's John 3 16. There's 1 Timothy 3 16. There's Genesis 3 16. Colossians 3 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and songs of the spirit or spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. The only way to be on the offensive and walk that straight and narrow path, not to the left. What does does God tell Joshua? Let this book of the Lord not depart from where? 
from your heart and from your mouth. But thou shalt meditate upon it. And you shall not turn to the left or to the right and walk a straight orthopedic path. But in order to do that, what should have, what you should have in you? The word of God and continuous meditation. So that you will have a specific word for the specific season. That is the reason why we we, we come, you know, this is what we are, this is what we are doing. This is what is the way of salvation. You see the way of salvation everywhere? The way of redemption? The way to true salvation. God has to take the initiative. God has to clothe us with his righteousness. God has to give us the ability to do justice. God has to give us the ability to walk in a way of uprightness and inequity. That is accomplished through the way of salvation. And that is accomplished by the filling of the Holy Spirit and the word of God every day of our lives. There is no other way. You say the same thing over and over again in different directions and different tangents. But this is the way to true salvation. The salvation to the uttermost. Okay? Everybody? Did you get the message? Did you understand? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. For this time that you blessed us with, thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts. I I trust and I believe, Lord, that you have spoken a specific word to each one of our hearts. So many of us may be stuck going around in circles and not progressing in our walk with the Lord. We may think that we are walking a straight path, but we are actually blind. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes. Open our eyes so that we may walk that straight walk of faith. Pleasing in your sight. To that end, I pray that you would bless us and bless this word. Commit each one of us into your hands. Commit your servant also who is there in, in Sikkim in your hands. So Lord, continue to minister through him. Speak to your people and let there be revival in that land. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen.